0: Becky Gannon and I'm mad about miniatures. Today, Amanda and Bree from HGTV's Biggest Little Christmas Showdown are here. This miniature competition show first aired in December of 2020. Finalists Amanda and Bree wowed us with their mini Christmas tiki boat and modern style. Let's go talk to Amanda and Bree of At Panda Miniatures. Hello, Amanda and Bree. Hello. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> So, this is the first time I've had two people on. So, I'll introduce you each individually and then we'll just have a fun chat, okay? Sounds good. <laughs> okay. So, Amanda, you are were the lead miniaturist on HGTV's biggest little Christmas showdown. Yep, that's me. <laughs> Hello. Can you tell us just a little tiny bit about yourself before we get to your lovely partner, Brie?
1: Sure. So I am the the main and the lead miniaturist of Panda Miniatures. I started this in 2016. And I've been making miniatures since then professionally. I do a lot of commercial work for brands like Coca Cola and Disney. So I do that. But I also do some fine art miniatures as well. And I'm currently in a grad program for sculpture.
0: I can't wait to ask you about all of those things. Bree. Hey, I am Brie.
2: I'm Amanda's fiance and partner in Panda Miniatures. I am relatively new to the miniature making scene. I did help with the biggest little Christmas showdown, and that was an extraordinary experience. And yeah, I've been also helping with the marketing for Panda Miniatures. And you're also a rock musician. <laughs> I am. I am a musician. I do play guitar, and I just recently picked up mandolin as well.
0: Wow. So, last year, You know, Christmas was a little hard, like looking at the Christmas season. There wasn't a lot to look forward to. And then I turned on the TV and I saw there was going to be a Christmas miniature competition. And it sort of made everything a little better. (laughs) I know that reality shows aren't always filmed right at the time. So even though it was a Christmas show, you filmed it in August, right?
1: Yeah, so we filmed in July and August of 2020. They had reached out to me way back in December 2019, but it had to be pushed back, obviously, because of COVID. We were actually in the middle of moving, so it was a little hectic, but I felt it was really important for us to be on the show, just to kind of bring miniatures to the general public and really show people what we do all the time.
0: And I think you did that. I didn't realize at the time, I assumed it had been filmed way in advance. COVID was going on, but there was no mention of COVID, right, in the show? Yeah, that
1: was something that they emphasized. They wanted to have a very heartfelt show. So we were just trying to be as positive as possible on set because it was in in the middle of everything uh, COVID related. We did have to get tested. We when we were not on set, we had to wear masks and everybody on set wore masks if they weren't like the talent. So it was a little strange to film um in this kind of time since I I've also been on sets before this behind the camera obviously but so it was a little bit of a different little bit of a change
0: I can see it would be awkward but I have to tell you it was nice like it was just a nice escape Agreed Brie was almost not your partner in in the biggest little Christmas showdown yeah, that's true. Amanda did have a,
2: another miniaturist friend in mind for the show. Kate is super sweet. She's a very talented artist. But she ended up moving out of the city also. So I'll let Amanda kind of chime in on the casting process.
1: Yeah, so the casting director was like, do you have anybody else that could be your partner? Um, I was like, well, what about my fiance? Like, she helped me with the Coca-Cola project. She can make some miniatures. I think she'll be great. And they were all for it. They were very happy to have a couple, I guess. I think we were one of the only couples in the show. So that was really cool. It, it worked out great because obviously we lived together. So we were just in the studio every single day
0: <laughs> working on it. It was so fun to see you guys work on it. You know, it was kind of unclear. Did you have unlimited time to work on it ahead of time? A certain number of weeks? Yeah, it was definitely
1: limited. They contacted us at the end of May. So beginning of June, and I think we had three to four weeks to actually do about 60% of the miniature before getting to set. I was like, we're going to do 80% (laughs) because I knew how long things take to make. I planned everything out, like everything that we were going to make pre-made before uh, we got to set. And then things that we did on set were very manageable. Like all all of the really tiny details I did beforehand, like wrapping all the presents and making the little cookies and all of that. Because I knew it would just be like a waste of time on set. And I wanted to focus on other things like lighting and putting the landscape together. Um, Yeah, we did definitely have limited time and we actually even had less because we had a pre-planned vacation that we couldn't move. So we had like three, maybe two and a half weeks to actually work on it.
0: <laughs> and the project was a Christmas-themed tiki boat. How on earth did you come up with a tiki boat for a Christmas theme?
2: An excellent question. When the show told us that the theme was going to be Mele Maka. We wanted to center our landscape and structure around a traditional Hawaiian Christmas. So the first thing that came to my mind was kind of the old-fashioned Elvis movies on a boat, and Amanda came up with this really cool like, rock and roll Santa Christmas bar, and we thought, well, why don't we combine the two, do a tiki boat that has a bar inside. Yeah, the producers loved it. We loved the idea, and I think they definitely recognized that. It was
0: genius, just genius. And I loved it. And I got to see it in person at Philadelphia Mancuria, where I also got to meet you in person. So that was really cool. You know, talk us through, you get on set. You know, what was it like on set?
1: It was honestly crazy. (laughs) You know, again, I had only been really behind the camera most of the time when I work on sets. So being in front of the camera and being directed to smile, act happy when you come into the workshop, that was the first thing we filmed was us coming into the workshop. And it was just like, oh, my God, I'm like one of those people on those competition shows that I'm always watching. (laughs) Another show is like making it, you know, that was one of my favorite shows at the time. And it's like, you always put yourself in that position. You're like, what would I do for this challenge? And like, and it it was just strange to actually be in that position.
0: (laughs) I can see that. I think I shared my son, Drew, was on um, one of the first episodes of um, Holy Moly, which is the mini golf competition show. And he said when they filmed him coming out, unbeknownst to him, the production assistants had made all these Ed Sheeran We Love You signs. Because the big stick was he looked a lot like Ed Sheeran. And they just, you know, really emphasized that. So he comes in. And there's all these signs that say, we love you and here. And he was sort of overwhelmed.
1: <laughs> that's really funny.
0: You know, it's totally staged, but it was still funny. Yeah. So, yes, I, that's the first thing I noticed. You all came out and you were like, hey, you know, so happy to be here.
1: Yeah, they also wanted us to, to carry like a tool bag, which I found really funny. 'Cause we did actually have all of our tools on set. They had some on set like in the workshop, but we were allowed to bring our own stuff, which was awesome. That is
0: nice. That's funny. They wanted like a little like a little Santa tool belt on everyone. Yeah. <laughs> and for Drew, he had to, you know, he had to wear the same outfit no matter how many times he showed up. Was the same true of you? We had uh, pre-planned outfits for each episode of the show. And
2: our workshop outfits changed by day. But at the end of each filming day, we met in kind of like a private interview room. And that's where we did testimonials. Mm -hmm. The shots where Amanda and I are sitting next to each other and just kind of talking about our process and everything. So one of the biggest challenges, and this is a little bit of movie magic I'll spill is that we had to learn how to speak in present tense. Mm -hmm. Even though we're talking about something that we crafted hours prior. You may have seen a scene where we were talking about gluing something together. And during those testimonial interviews, we had to be like, all right, right now I am gluing this tiny piece of furniture. And that was a little challenging to learn how to do, but a lot of fun. And seeing it all come together in the final result was awesome, too.
0: Well, you know, Brie, I'm glad you said that, because I always wonder, you know, they'll yell, you have three minutes, and then they'll, you know, <laughs> show like a little conversation of the two of you, like, mm-hmm. what do you think we should do? And you're like, move, move. <laughs> <laughs> what you should do, you should hurry. So that's just sort of intercepted in there to make it more interesting. But also,
1: if we were doing something important for the scene, we had to explain it to the camera, like there were there were camera guys, like at each station, And we had to go through the whole process. So that was kind of interesting, kind of talking through while I'm doing it, which is what I do on TikTok, like tutorials. So it was kind of interesting to do that on set.
0: But I bet that was hard, especially with the time pressure sometimes. I mean, there must've been times when you're like gluing and you just kind of wish the cameras weren't there, right? I mean, I know it's the deal, but. Yeah, especially when the
1: leak happened, I was like, just go. (laughs) (laughs) Don't film this, but they
0: have to because it's drama. (laughs) so you know there was the leak and I felt for you I did even my husband who at first wasn't really watching was like oh no it's so good why is it leaking (laughs) (laughs) but you actually shared with me before that the leak was actually even worse than it looked like on tv Seeing it on TV, I was like, wow, they kind of downplayed it a little bit
1: because I had sealed up the entire thing up until like where the beach was on the landscape and what had happened. I don't know if the tables were uneven or something, but the water had leaked up all the way up until the foam of the beach. So it was just leaking like crazy. It was leaking onto the electrical. They were doing judging at another station and I had to tell the, our producer like you guys have to stop filming and mop this up because I'm worried that it's going to cause a fire or something so it was definitely a more dramatic in person and I don't know if it was like the adrenaline or what but ended up being fine but it was very stressful <laughs> and seeing it on on tv was weird because I'm like wait a minute it was definitely like a all-day deal not just like a couple minutes or an hour or whatever they that they showed
0: I want to go see that again, Amanda, because I have to tell you, it seemed very dramatic to me the way they showed it. I mean, when I saw it, I was like, oh, no, I mean, I just (laughs) fell for you. So that it was even worse. That's, that's amazing.
2: When the judges came into the room, we all had to be completely silent. And... So as the cameras are moving and everything's going, it kind of, I would say, in person, the best sound comparison was someone pouring a water bottle just on the floor. So it was that loud. It's echoing throughout the studio. And Amanda and I just had to put on a brave face and be like,
0: yep, this is our project. (laughs) So I definitely don't remember it sounding like you were in a waterfall. Did they just like dampen that? I think so. I don't even think they showed
1: that or okay. captured that
0: on camera. Thank God. Thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you said there were some funny parts on camera with the judges that, that they didn't show or that they didn't have time for. Can you share that? Speaking of the judges, June had
1: previously, like the day before when they initially came around uh, to do, you know, some judging or just look at what we were doing. She was like, your, your stuff is so in scale. Like, it's you're getting the scale down. It was like such great feedback from someone as talented as her and then the next day was the leak and she was like this looks like the titanic
0: is sinking or something she said some (laughs) line and i was like oh god i was so
1: embarrassed
0: (laughs) but luckily the titanic line did not make it onto tv yeah (laughs) i'm
1: I'm glad it didn't honestly
0: (laughs) (laughs) well the tiki boat certainly did not when i looked at it close up at philadelphia materia did not look like the titanic it looked beautiful I did notice that the landscape wasn't present. So tell us what happened with the landscape. They actually ended up shipping
2: the entire landscape and and pontoon boat back to us. And I received this giant wooden crate and after I opened it, the boat was intact. I think Amanda did a really good job with the structure to keep it solid. The landscape, however, was absolutely water damaged and (laughs) a little rocked around, so we decided to part ways with the landscape, and we're so lucky to still
0: have the pontoon boat intact. It looked like most of the time you had very limited time, but you said For the first one, when you were making The Tiki Boat, you actually were done a little early. And (laughs) what did the producers tell you to do?
1: Yes, because I had done so much beforehand. Like, both of us had worked on it for weeks. And I knew exactly how much time we were going to have, like, on set. We got done, like, I would say 15 or 20 minutes before the end of filming. And the producers were like just do something. (laughs) Add something to it. So we had like a little elf helper and he was great. I think his name is Josh, right? And he was like adding little details to the sand and like we were trying to like extend our work. Our landscape was large, but the actual structure was pretty small. Which was smart. Yeah,
0: it helped us for sure. I think keeping it smaller now for the finale you did not have extra time is that right at least it sure didn't look like it
1: oh yeah we had limited time for sure and we were right up to the last second doing stuff and honestly uh how the structure was put together we didn't put the roof on until the last minute and all the teams had this problem but the lighting was really really dark because the roof just made everything just dark (laughs) last minute putting on the roof we were like oh no there's no lighting. Uh, And I was just like, forget
0: it. And, you know, it kind of hurt us a little bit, I think. But I thought it was funny. They made a big deal that the other teams put like these tiny little lights in. But when they showed them, they didn't make any difference. They were all three super dark. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I felt like they should have just brought a big light in and showed us everything. I I agree. Totally agreed. You know, they probably didn't even realize it was going to be so dark. I'm guessing.
1: Yeah, they didn't have much experience with putting together miniatures, obviously. And there weren't a lot of lights available on set other than like fairy lights. And those are really hard to conceal or make look in scale. And we also, there were set rules, like we couldn't drill into the walls or anything like that. So it kind of limited what we could do. I thought they were going to shine lights in there anyway. So I didn't really think it was a big deal, honestly.
0: (laughs) I can see
2: that. We also used a very dark color palette. I mean, we used black, white, and red with a black velvet couch and black deer head and some panda ornaments that kind of got lost in the the background. So these are all things you have to think about when you're designing an interior. And I I feel like that was definitely a a classic HDTV challenge for sure.
0: But I loved all the details. I loved... I love the couch. I love the guitar case coffee table, which you made, right, Brie? Yes.
2: I actually got the idea from my own guitar case coffee table that I made in
0: real life in people scale. <laughs> oh, you know, when you made that little coffee mug stain, I was just like, are you kidding me? I mean, that's <laughs> that kind of detail. <laughs>
2: That was my favorite.
0: Yeah, Yeah, for sure. And I think
2: Amanda is definitely very good at having an eye for making a space feel lived in. So it's the little details like that, like a coffee ring, or, you know, shoes by the door that really make a miniature interior Mm -hmm. come to life. Like the suitcase that we had
1: at the door, which Brie added, like, I don't, I don't remember if they showed this, but she added like little two little candy canes and a heart on top of them. And it was just such a cute detail that I wish that I had gotten that setback also because <laughs> I just love the little the suitcases by the door it was just such a cute touch I didn't tell you um, I was gonna do that either no I like saw
0: it after she had done it I was like oh my god
1: that's perfect
0: that's so cute so they kept those houses
1: they auctioned them off supposedly but I we didn't really hear anything about it we only got our tiki boat back I know some of the other contestants got the final house back
0: so if you have our house yeah let us know <laughs> You know, someday you'll be watching a movie or another HD TV show, and there will be your house in the background. <laughs> that <laughs> would sure. be awesome. Oh, we would be so honored. So you're also, you have Panda Miniatures, which you sell things, modern miniatures, spicy miniatures, which we'll <laughs> talk about. And I actually bought a table from you at Philadelphia Manchuria, and it's actually my favorite miniature in the whole world oh thank you so much yeah it looks great in your space i love the chairs you chose oh thank you them. yeah it looks really good <laughs> as most of the people listening to this podcast know i am obsessed with all forms of teal turquoise aqua <laughs> and so it's this beautiful table and it has resin running down and you actually well tell us how you make this table it's it's fantastic
1: Sure. So I use the same techniques as the life size versions. Um, And it was kind of cool at Philly, actually, uh, Philadelphia Miniatura. A lot of people were coming up to my table like, oh my gosh, my brother makes these river tables in life size. This looks amazing. So I'm glad that the technique definitely showed. But basically what I do is I take, I have a woodcraft store here in, in my town And they sell exotic woods, different woods, and uh, I use like walnut, sherry, bocate, different kinds. And basically, I cut them on my saw, and I cut them down the middle so that I have two pieces, and then I use my Dremel to create the natural wood edge, or the live edge as they call it. Mm -hmm. And then I make a mold for each table, so each one is unique. I mix resin with mica powders, I pour it down the middle, just like they do in real life, and then... Break apart the mold, I have to sand it. I have like a belt sander. I sand each one. It's really hard because the sander, even on the finest setting, the tables go very, very thin very quickly. So it was a bit of a learning curve, especially using resin and then sanding resin and wood. So I sand them and then I do a final coat of resin on top. So it's quite a process, especially if I'm making a lot of them. And resin can be very finicky. So it's it's a cool process though. I, I can't wait to make more. And people were so receptive to it.
0: They're just stunning. But what I hadn't remembered, you know, I watched HQTV's Biggest Little Christmas Showdown again in prep for this interview, and you actually make a resin table there, which you say is the first time. Yep. <laughs> and you know, I love you, but it didn't. It didn't turn out quite as well as.
1: No. I, yeah. It was because they didn't really have the right size wood there. Right. And. I wanted to make one of those river tables that like flowed down. Like it's like, I don't know what they're called, but I was using UV resin because I didn't have any normal resin and I didn't have time, but you know, it came out
0: like as well as I expected it to honestly. It still (laughs) looked really cool, Yeah. but I, and I thought it was very brave of you. You know, when I'm watching these reality shows, I always have ambivalence when someone says, I'm going to try this for the first time on this show my first thought is, why? Why? (laughs) Why would you do something for the first time in front of millions of viewers? And then, of course, I'm like, you know, good for you. That's so creative. It turned out so well. But I went through all of that while watching you. Oh, thank you. Time management, you've got to constantly be wondering, like, is this detail worth it? Is this worth it? I mean, that's just got to be a constant process that you're thinking about during the show.
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, we would go back to our hotel every night and I'd be like, what is something that could be different about our thing? I just didn't want to do the same old thing that, you know, you always see at miniature shows or something. I just wanted to do something new and modern and fun. And, you know, even if we didn't win, it was something that I had never tried before and we tried it. And if it didn't work, it didn't work. But, you know, the resin table... I was like, I just thought about it for a year. And I was like, I really want to redo that with the proper wood and the proper resin. Um, And it ended up working out really well.
0: It did. Well, I have to say, you certainly don't do the same old things. I mean, (laughs) your work is so modern and so cool. And you actually have been doing it now for how many years? Professionally, 2016. Six years. Five or six years. Five or
1: six years. Yeah.
0: So when you started, I mean, was there even any other modern
1: furniture? There wasn't. Uh, I was in college and I was an RA. So I had a little bit of money. Uh, You know, I was paid for that. So I was like, you know what, let me get like my first dollhouse kit. I had really been into miniatures uh, as a kid. And my grandmother had a dollhouse that I used to play with when I visited her. And when she passed away, uh, actually in 2016, I inherited her dollhouse and I've been renovating it for six years. (laughs) Um, You know how long renovations take on even a dollhouse but before I inherited that dollhouse, I had bought a dollhouse kit, and I just started putting it together, and I fell in love with it again. You know, it was kind of like a resurgence of my childhood memories. But I noticed that a lot of the things that were on, even Etsy at the time, just weren't modern. You know, it was all Victorian stuff, which is fine. That's, that's an aesthetic. But I was just like, oh, I have to make everything myself. Which is fine. I love scratch building, but I really wanted like other miniaturists that created modern miniatures, which now there are so many, which is it's amazing, it's great and I and I do buy from other miniaturists a lot. but at the time again, I, I really didn't see naughty miniatures like adult miniatures uh, even. so that's kind of how I got started on Instagram. I made an Instagram account just for my m- miniature stuff and i started posting like i made little bongs and like little tampons and things and it kind of snowballed got a lot of followers very quickly because the miniature community on instagram was really blowing up at that time i was in a couple of gallery shows i just started kind of getting work my first gig i ever got was serofsky crystals i made four dioramas for them for their flagship store in times square and that was like my first professional miniature gig and then from there my resume just kept building. And right before the pandemic, um, I worked on Gabby's dollhouse for Netflix. And that was an amazing opportunity. I worked under Nixon Gerber. It was just like, it's just like people that I have been like idolizing and following for years working under them or meeting them in person. It's just like, just great. I don't know. I just love the community. And it's such a part of my life (laughs) that it's kind of crazy when people ask, Hey, what do you do? And I'm like, uh, I make tiny things? I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's a lot to unpack there. You mentioned a lot of interesting things. Oh, but <laughs> me being me, no, no, that's good. Me being me, I got to go back to Savarsky and the little bling.
1: Yes. So the dioramas I made were Oscar stages, four Oscar stages. And they sent me about 1,400 Sarovsky crystals in Yay. all sizes yeah oh my god it was incredible just bags and bags of I mean I had never held that many crystals in my life so it was really cool and they just said put it on everything
2: (laughs) I love that what a great challenge yeah (laughs) it was really cool and I still have some to this day I've been known to bedazzle a couple jackets and some jeans with them so (laughs) there's they're still being utilized and
0: appreciated yeah years later I'm glad to hear that. Well, it's so interesting to hear. I mean, when you're in high school or college and you talk to the college counselor, you know, they don't say, hey, have you considered becoming a professional miniaturist? That's not something I was ever asked. So it's so great to hear that you are getting commercial assignments. Yeah,
1: I love doing it. Currently, I'm in grad school. I'm actually getting my MFA in sculpture.
0: That's fantastic.
1: Yeah, it's it's been a journey and I love it. And I definitely think that miniatures are an art form, they can be a hobby and an art. And I think you'll definitely see more of that in the future, just as fine art instead of rather just a hobby.
0: Oh, I agree. Can you tell us a little bit about the Coca Cola assignment? What did you do for that?
1: Uh, yeah, that was that was an amazing uh, experience. Actually, they wanted four miniature sets for one for each brand. So the Coca Cola brand had, you know, it's like a family of brands. And I actually worked with a few other miniaturists in the community: Aaliyah, Tiny Doors, Atlanta, and Mighty Oak. They're a mm-hmm. studio, and we all did four, three to four of the miniature brands under Coca-Cola. And basically, I created these sets. Each one had a different theme based on the drink. So, like Mellow Yellow, for example, they, they wanted a cabin in the woods on a lake, you know, with a canoe and all that. So each brand had their own identity. So that was kind of challenging doing something different for each brand, I guess. But it was awesome. They, they flew me down to Atlanta. I was on set working with directly with the art director and the set dressers. It was my first time actually on a set.
0: Were they shown as miniatures or were they used to look like real sets?
1: So it was for a, a campaign called Sip and Scan. If you notice on any Coke product, There's like this tiny label that you can scan um, and it takes you to a website. So that was kind of the shtick. It was like you you scan it and it takes you to this miniature scene and it's interactive and you can click on things. And there would be like a hand that would come in and do something. So each set had a different like, you know, the hand would do something different. It was awesome.
0: That's so cool. (laughs) What a cool idea. So, you know, being a miniaturist is still, you know, not an ordinary thing to do. Tell us a little, Brie, like when you found out Amanda was a miniaturist, tell us about how that happened and and how you felt about it. Sure. So Amanda and I met
2: at our college. We both went to the Fashion Institute of Technology where I was studying advertising and marketing and she was studying art history and museum professions. And so when she and I were courting and getting to know one another, she invited me over to her dorm. We get to the door of her dorm, and Amanda just hesitates before she turns the doorknob and looks at me, and she goes, I have to tell you something. I don't know what to expect. Maybe she has a boa constrictor in her room or a crazy roommate. I don't know. So I'm like, okay, Amanda, what's going on? She proceeds to very cautiously tell me that she's obsessed with dollhouses and miniatures. The relief I felt. I was like, (laughs) okay, okay. Yeah, that's that's cool. So we proceed to walk into her dorm room, which was the size of a closet. I mean, <laughs> it's very, it's New York City, very tight li- living quarters. Yeah. And in the center of the dorm is this ginormous dollhouse. And I noticed that her bed was fairly high and on risers. Uh, I'm looking at the dollhouse, admiring the craftsmanship and really kind of starting to get into it. And Amanda goes, but wait, there's more. She lifted the bed skirt on her really tall bed and underneath were bins after bins after bins of (laughs) miniatures. So we ended up just spending the rest of the day sitting on the floor of her dorm going through them. And I was so impressed with, oh, wow, look, these are tiny shoes and this is a tiny tape deck and this is tiny this and that. It was so cool because I never thought I would ever really get as interested in miniatures as we b- both currently are. But it just brought me back to elementary school and sitting in the schoolyard and you know swapping miniatures with my friends. And it w- yeah, it was really cool. It's been a really fun ride ever since.
0: Well, Amanda, that's probably the very best reaction you could have hoped for, right? Yeah, I was well, I was always
1: hesitant back then because I had a lot of exes that were not too crazy about the miniature stuff. So I was kind of like prepared to defend myself, basically, with a new person, but... Brie ended up being great. she even came with me that year to Philadelphia miniaturia, and she just fell in love with miniatures. She bought more miniatures than me that year, I think. 50 years <laughs> charged. That is true. Which is awesome.
0: It is very tempting. You you know, you go there and you're like, I'm only gonna buy what's on my list or this much, and then you get there and you're like I need it all. For sure. I always refer to it as the Comic-Con for miniatures. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. That's perfect. That's exactly what it is. So, Amanda, earlier you mentioned art. And I do think that miniatures at a certain level are are totally art. And the example that in my mind is actually of your piece. I was walking into Philadelphia, Manchuria, and I saw your hoarder cabin. Mm Mm-hmm. It's beautifully done. And I instantly said to myself, you know, there's a message here. This means something to her. It made me think, which is after all, I think what art does. Yeah, for sure. I created the hoarder's
1: porch. Initially, it was actually a kit, like a from scratch kit from a miniature club that I was in in New York City. It was supposed to be like a shabby chic porch or something. And I was like, I don't want to do that. That's not me. So I was like, you know, how can I make this relate to my life and like my childhood? Maybe I'll do like a hoarder's porch. And I kind of worked on it on and off for about three years until this past year, I was like, you know, I'm like looking at it like, uh, maybe I should finish it. And that's when I started TikTok. And I, you know, documented the whole journey on TikTok. That's when I kind of realized that not a lot of people do these miniature pieces that have like a meaning behind it. I've seen a lot of abandoned miniatures or miniatures of dilapidated houses and things, but they don't really have like a meaning behind it. It's just sort of like this is a cool looking house. So I wanted something that related to me, but also related to somebody else. And I definitely had that happen with my video of the hoarder's porch got almost 4 million views. And I had thousands of comments of people just telling their stories. Wow, you know, this is how I grew up. My parents are suffering through this right now. So it was very cathartic for me to make this miniature piece just for my own kind of healing process. But also it was nice to kind of show something that's usually not typically shown in in miniature.
0: Oh, for sure. You said you tried to represent different types of hoarding. Mm -hmm. Do you want to
1: expand on that a little? Yeah, so the porch isn't an exact replica of any house because it was just a kit that I kind of kit bashed. I didn't want it to look like any particular house. I kind of wanted it to be like the general idea of hoarding. And that's why I included different types of hoarding, like paper hoarding or cat hoarding or toy hoarding or Christmas decoration hoarding, because there's all sorts of types and people hoard for different reasons. Kind of wanted it to relate to a lot of people and just the sadness of it all. You know, the eviction notices and everything's sort of falling apart. The, The window is broken. I like adding little things that as you look more into it, there's more of a story there. The children's toys, it's sad when you really think about it and look at it a lot closer. So I think that resonated with a lot of people.
0: When I looked at it, I saw it more generally as, you know, all the hoarding we did for for the pandemic and things like that. And I think I shared with you this interpretation, and that's not what you meant. But, you know, we're all free to interpret it how we want, right? <laughs> Exactly.
1: That's what fine art is really about. An artist can have a message, but how it relates to you is is open for interpretation.
0: It did bring back some painful memories of me going through my parents' stuff and sort of realizing that some of the stuff that my mom and dad treasured is now, for better or worse, trash. And that that was hard. But at the same time, that's what good art does. It relates to you personally. It makes you think.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: And that's what I want to do with
1: my work, which is what I'm developing my in my MFA thesis right now, just kind of making work that is about my experiences in my childhood, but also artwork that people could relate to, especially miniature scenes, especially without dolls or anything in it. Something that looks like somebody just left the room is kind of the miniature scenes that I like to make that the deeper you look into it, you're like, oh, there's a story here. What's going on? Just like Bree's coffee table with the mug stain on it. It's like, who left the mug stain? What is their story? That kind of thing.
0: Right. And you have an exhibit now at a gallery too, right? Yes, I guess it's kind of like a group and a solo
1: exhibition in the Museum of Museums in Seattle. It's a museum where they have like a bunch of mini museums inside. And the Supperfield Museum of Contemporary Art is a miniature, actual miniature dollhouse museum museum and I'm in the top floor and my piece is called shortage. And I suspended all these different types of items that were in shortage in the past two years during the pandemic. And afterwards, I suspended them in resin and put them in front of a nature. It was about consumerism, but also how limited our resources are now. And the shortages kind of put that into perspective for some people, I think.
0: I know you showed toilet paper. Were Lysol wipes in there? Yes. And toilet paper, chicken wings,
1: gasoline, coins. There's a huge coin shortage right now. And I forgot what the other ones were.
0: I have to admit, I did not know there was a chicken wing shortage. (laughs) That is breaking news for me. It was during 2020. I don't think it's
1: it's that much of a deal now. But in 2020, there was a little bit of a chicken shortage.
0: Wow. Okay. For me, the wipes is what really hit me. I mean, I probably didn't see wipes for six or seven months, at least. I'm a little older than you, but you know, you have a grandmother who talks about, you know, saves the same piece of tinfoil from the depression or something. And I kept saying to my husband, when I'm old and I've kind of lost it, I'm going to go around saying, remember when we had to use one wipe for six (laughs) months? So true. And they're going to be like, Grandma's crazy. And (laughs) it's going to be like, no, no, they didn't have wipes for a (laughs) year. That's all I could think of every time I saw one. For sure. Because for me, I guess that was, I managed to get other things. That was the one thing we just could never quite get our little hands on.
1: We were living in Brooklyn at the time. So we were at the Ebbis Center for a while. And it just sort of like you start thinking about like, you know, is it? worth it to like being a job that you don't like I, I kind of want to do what I want to do I think a lot of people came to that realization being home for months on end there obviously there were a lot of negatives
0: to COVID but there were a lot
1: of positives that came out of it
0: too I think you had to look for the positives but yes I think we we kind of forced ourselves to make it I dabbled a little with miniatures I'd always been fascinated them but I don't think I would have done it. And I mean, I was staring at all this time and I was like, I have to find something to do or I'm going to drive my entire family crazy. And that's how I got into miniatures. And I'm so glad I did.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you did, too. You know, your story is one that I've heard a lot, actually, especially at Philadelphia Miniature. We had people coming up to our table like, I have never been to a miniature show before. I never even knew about it before finding you on Instagram because I was stuck at home all day. Very common, I think, for people to get into this hobby because they just had time, which is crazy
0: <laughs> and awesome at the same time. It is true. And you know, when I first started this, my biggest fans started being in like the cold countries. You know, the podcast was like number one in Sweden, <laughs> in Brussels, all the places where they have a long winter. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> So I know, Amanda, that you want a scholarship to go to the Guild School this past summer.
1: I did, yeah. Um, I had been applying for the Guild School probably since I got into miniatures. I finally won um, the Bonnie Back Scholarship, and she was an alumni of FIT, so that was really cool. Um, and she had been involved in the miniature community for a long time, so when she passed away, her family set up this GoFundMe Scholarship. And it paid for me and Chris Toledo from Thanks. I Build Small Things. So um, him and I, and they also had a couple more scholarship students because they hadn't had the Guild School 2020. So they had the most scholarship students that they ever had because of that. And it was an amazing experience. I took Troy Schmidt's pottery class and also Tim Craft's soldering and chandelier class. And it was an awesome experience. It was in Castine, Maine which was beautiful. Bree came with me as my guest. She explored the town a little bit. And they're really cute, you know. It's been 40 years that they've been going to Castine, So all the people in town are
0: like, the mini people are here. It was really cool. Well, the many people, I mean, you are 100% of their tourism, correct? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> and Brie, I kind of love that when I did see you in pictures of that, you were sort of eating or, you know, snacking. <laughs> oh, for sure. I exclusively came just for lobster night. <laughs> Igma
2: really knows how to throw a party and lobster night is a tradition. Amanda and I weren't really sure what to wear. Is this a formal event is it going to be casual Should, like is it jeans or a blazer like we go and everyone who had creative bones showed up in lobster dresses and lobster <laughs> ties they
0: really make the most out of it we learned how to eat our first lobsters that's so fun i know <laughs> and it told me that before so if you go make sure you bring something lobster printed oh for sure
1: yeah and we're going again next summers so we'll definitely be prepared this time <laughs> but it's great. I mean, if you have the opportunity to go, I highly recommend.
0: Do you feel you learned techniques there that you wouldn't be able to learn other places? I
1: learned so much. Like the pottery class was 36 hours. So that was my main class during the week. And I had done miniature pottery before, but just, you know, learning it from a master potter who does miniature and full size, it was awesome just to ask you know, different techniques, how do I make a lid in this size? It's just like something that you can't get from watching like a YouTube tutorial or something. I think it's more about the technique really than what you actually make there. Um, I'm definitely excited for next year. I'm taking an inlay wood table class. Victorian tables aren't my style, but still I can, I can apply what I learned to modern and other things that I want to make. So.
0: Oh, I can't wait to see we do with that but the idea of these teeny tiny little pieces. (laughs) I know. (laughs) You know, what level do you think you have to be to enjoy and get something out of the school?
1: You can be any level. They have a lot of the classes are beginner. There are some intermediate classes, like the one that I originally wanted to take the guitar making class was intermediate to advanced. So on the descriptions that you get in the catalog, it'll tell you if you have to be a little more experienced with certain tools. But most of the classes are for beginners, people with no experience with the tools or anything.
0: Do you think that's true? I mean, when I read "beginner," I'm like, but do they really mean a beginner like me, or <laughs> do they mean like a beginner like you? That's in my mind, not a beginner at all. <laughs> right. I
1: honestly, the instructors are so talented and they're so good at teaching and really breaking it down. Even if you don't finish the project, they'll help you every step of the way. We, I mean, I had people in the pottery class, who had never touched any kind of wheel or clay. And in the end, we all made gorgeous pots. So I think that even if you're not skilled in something, the instructors are so good that they'll teach you, you will learn, you will learn something.
0: Okay, okay. So I can be an actual sort of beginner. Yes, actual beginner. Yeah,
1: that's the whole point of like taking the classes and you have a whole week. So it's not like you're just doing it one day, you're doing that every single day. So five days, of the week, you're doing this one class. So you really get to know the instructor, the other students and whatever you're working on. It's honestly like a once in a lifetime kind of thing. I I can't wait to go back next
2: year. We've made so many incredible connections and, and new friends. And we were so thrilled to see them again at Philadelphia Manchuria when they
0: came to visit. Philadelphia Manchuria was the first big show I'd been to and, and the second show at all. And just meeting the people that I talked to on Instagram and seeing all the things in person. Never mind the goodies you come home with. It was it was it's really hard to describe how much fun that is. It's so
1: much fun. I've been going since 2015 as just a guest and then we we also were we were vendors in 2019 and this was our second year selling and it was like even better than before like just seeing people that we knew been a while since like we were able to be at a show so it was great we had a blast and just like the younger crowd that came from instagram and tiktok it, it was just really nice to see like a younger generation get involved in the miniature community because we want this to continue for many many years
0: yes we need new blood we need people you know being enthusiastic about it and making miniatures that are relevant to them whether it's the hoarder's port or modern minis or Tiny little tampons, (laughs) whatever speaks to you, right? Exactly. (laughs) So Bree, what is your favorite and least favorite miniature type of work to do? Ooh, that's a really good question.
2: I don't think I've ever been asked that before. I would say as an enthusiast, my favorite miniatures to collect are 112 scale guitars because it relates back to my passion for music. My favorite miniatures to make, I guess, just sentimental things. One thing that comes to mind was our first anniversary. date Yeah, it was our one year anniversary dating each other. I made Amanda a tiny box. And when you opened it, it had about 112 scale calla lilies in it that I had made from an old paper clip, uh, pieces of paper kind of like wrapped around it. And mm-hmm. um, I know that's Amanda's favorite flower. So stuff like that. My least favorite miniature to make. I guess I'm not very proficient in woodworking, so (laughs) as Amanda is. So anything that is really intricate, sometimes I'll feel overwhelmed and I don't have as much
0: patience. Well, Amanda, I feel like you're so proficient in anything. Is there anything (laughs) that you really struggled with or still struggle with or wish you could learn how to do? I
1: honestly don't have patience for miniature food. That's the one type of miniature I actually collect artisan pieces of. Because people make way better food than I ever could. <laughs> so I usually, that's what I buy at shows and stuff. Honestly, my least favorite part of a process is to actually build a structure. My favorite thing is to add the details. The hoarder's porch was, the, when the structure was done, I went ham with the details because I that's like my ultimate favorite thing. To add like the little tiny papers, little bit of ash on the ashtray, that kind of thing is just like, that's my bread and butter and that's what I love doing.
0: Well, that's the art of it. That's what distinguishes it. Well, it's been so great talking to you both. I just loved you both on the, the Biggest Little Christmas Showdown. And I just love everything you guys make. I think you've really contributed to pushing the boundaries of making it more modern and making it art. And, you know, that's a really important contribution. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having us. It's so nice to talk about
1: my work. I like that people relate to it. I just want to continue developing it. It's all about the escapism into, you know, these little worlds that we create. I just love other miniaturists and that we can talk about this stuff. Not everyone is a miniaturist, so it's, like, hard to talk to people about it. They just don't get it. So I really appreciate you, like, doing this podcast and having people talk about it because it's just so cool. I love it. I love what we do.
0: And you're right. You know, you have to find your people. My friends are incredibly patient with me. They're super good at pretending to be interested. (laughs) But there's nothing like talking to someone who knows what you mean. There are lots of negatives to social media, but one of the positives is it does allow people with very specialized interests to get together. What's wonderful about miniatures is there's so many ways you can do it. And I just never tire of hearing how different people interpret it and work it into their lives.
1: Yeah, exactly. And social media is such a great way to see all kinds of miniatures from every country and every background that you can think of. Um, I just love it. I love the community and I love being a part of
0: it. It's been great that this community's got together. So thank you, Amanda and Bree. We can't wait to see what else you do. So thanks for taking the time to explain what you do and why you love it. Thanks so much
2: for having us. We've had such a good time talking with you and getting to know you as well.
0: Thank you. You're welcome. My pleasure. Goodbye. Bye. Have a good week. Thank you. Wasn't it great talking to Amanda and Bree? My next episode is Tuesday, January 25th with Christine from at Paper Doll Miniatures. Christine has been making modern minis for 13 years, and many of my guests and fellow miniaturists have said that she was the reason that they were inspired to get into miniatures. So join me on January 25th as I talk to Christine. In the meantime, remember, there are no rules in your dollhouse except the ones you create for yourself. Goodbye!